All right. Well, we are preparing to celebrate Pentecost, Pentecost that happens next week, uh, next Sunday, um, by exploring the shaping of the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been taking a journey through what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit in chapter 5 of the book of Galatians. And the, the nine sort of outcomes that, that testify to the work of the Holy Spirit, the collective lives of the believers that we call the church experience this indwelling when we come to faith in Jesus. Um, we're going to dive straight into uh, the final two, gentleness and self-control. And just one more, uh, I just, you know, my, my buddy JD pointed out that uh, we do also have a tenth um, elf control um, here. Uh, we are not going to get to elf control today. So uh, if you need, we'll, we'll figure out another way to talk about elf control at, a, at another date, but we're only going to do nine uh, fruit of the spirit. Apparently, Rachel, you and I are the only ones that enjoyed that. So um, everybody else, um, you can just, uh, you know, bask in the, in, you know, we thought it was funny. Thank you, Rachel. That's, there's a place for everyone in, in this church. And uh, some, some people's place is just to uh, encourage me and offer me affirmation. So thank you. Oh, man. Um, I think this is a good, let's pray for our time together. <laughs> Holy Spirit, would you fill this place? Father, when we say, come Holy Spirit, we say that knowing that you were here before we were. So would you make us aware of your activity and your presence? I pray that, that we would see the ways that you come and shape and form us. But Father, when we look back over our lives, when we see times of not being shaped, times of chaos, Father, instead of shame, would joy come with the knowledge that you are at work in everyone? Would you make us aware of that work now? Father, at the end of this, would we look more like your son? In Jesus' name, amen. Gentleness and self-control. Man, gentleness, so this word is, this is a word that carries a little bit of ambiguity in both the Hebrew and the Greek, uh, in both of the ways that we might see it in Scripture. Uh, now, the version of text that we use on Sunday mornings, the, the NLT, the, the New Living Translation of, of the Bible, translates the word that Paul uses for, for, the, for the word that Paul wrote, we translate it as gentleness. But this word can also be translated and is translated by other versions as meekness and humility. Now, gentleness also is sort of like a, a concept, more than just the word, the concept or the construct that is gentleness, meekness, or humility, uh, but specifically gentleness, can be presented both positively and negatively as a characteristic. So, for example, we've got like, like purposeful, self-chosen powerlessness as a positive versus oversensitivity and, and timidness uh, in the face of normal life events is a negative view of this word. And so the, the ambiguity of this word is deep. It goes beyond just what Paul wrote and all the different ways that we might see it used. In the Old Testament, the word that, that's translated as gentleness can mean to bend low. It can mean to condescend, to be humble, or to be made humble. Then in the New Testament, we find gentleness, meekness, and humility um, 
when they're used, they're, they're all three being acceptable translations of Paul's point in Galatians 5 for the fruit, for the Spirit. When these words are used by Jesus and by the apostles, they point to three defining activities. So in the Gospel of Matthews in chapter five, Gospel of Matthew in chapters 5, 11, and 21, Matthew records Jesus using gentleness, meekness, or humility as the willingness to submit to the will of God over the will of self. The Apostle James, in, in James chapter 1, uses this, this term, gentleness, meekness, or humility, to describe the ability to be taught, not being too proud to learn. And then we see Paul, both in, in the letter to the, the church in, in uh, Corinth and the letter to the church in Ephesus, is a way to define being considerate to one another. And so what we find when we, we see all of the ways that this term is used is, is that when we put them together collectively, we actually find the definition of the fruit of the Spirit that we are looking at today. So applied to the framework that we've built around the activity of the Spirit that develops this fruit of the Spirit that Paul is talking about, we also can use a little bit of secular Greek to help make the point. Aristotle um, is, writes a lot of really boring things. Uh, but he wrote this, that this actually helps us define uh, th- this word as, as the mean between excessive anger and excessive angerlessness. The quality of a man who is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. Aristotle's definition of gentleness. It's kind of an interesting way to look at it, but then even more, adding depth to this application, especially our application of the word today, uh, when we look at the transformative power of the Holy Spirit, the Greek root that this word comes from is an adjective that, that's used when an animal has been tamed and brought under control. That's pretty interesting to think about this. Um, this gentleness is the, the root coming from a Greek word of a wild animal being tamed and brought under control. And so this is what, what Paul is saying is fruit of the Spirit. Um, now, while also that point might speak a little bit to self-control, we're going to unpack that in, in a moment, it presents this reality that gentle, gentleness, humility, meekness is a result of the transforming power of the Spirit of the living God. And it's given when we have faith in Jesus. So the reason I make that point is, is striving to have gentleness is, is not as effective as allowing the transformative power of the Holy Spirit to come and change our hearts. So when you think about what tames the wild animal, it isn't just being good. It's not learning to behave. It's about submission to the will of the Father. Now, the fruit of gentleness contrasts with something that we know well in our culture. The fruit of gentleness contrasts with pride and aggression. Pride, aggression, and power demonstrate that untamed animal that that does not reflect the likeness of Jesus. Proud, unteachable, and aggressive people actually don't even need Jesus. Proud, unteachable, and aggressive people don't need, need Jesus because whether they're aware of it or not, they've created a, a reality where they actually are their own God. 
Now, we know that this is a very common situation in our world, but it's also a characteristic of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. We see passages in Exodus and in Deuteronomy and Second Chronicles that refer to the nation of Israel as stiff-necked people. And so when we look at the stiff-necked people, we can see then that, that the opposite of that would be this word that means to bend low, because these stiff-necked people could not bend to the will of God. They're unable to bow before the authority of God. They're unable to bow to the authority of of God's appointed leaders. They're unable to bow before anything other than themselves. Now, this permeates forward into our culture today, and it speaks to the paradigm of fragmentation that we've been applying as we prepare for Pentecost Sunday next week. We know that the entry point for all of this is fragmentation. This is my fragmented life. My life is fragmented by experiences, by conflict, by relationships. I'm fragmented by pain, pain that I have caused and pain that's been caused that I've had to endure. The very essence of broken relationship is captured by the word that we know, sin. And so then the answer for sin, the answer for brokenness, the answer for fragmentation, especially when my fragmentation impacts the fragmentation of another and it leads to conflict and broken relationship that we know is sin, the entry point for that uh, to become whole is the cross of Jesus Christ and the sacrificial death that he submitted to in order to open up up a path of, of reconciliation for me as he opened up a path for me to get what I don't deserve. A lack of gentleness, the nature of the pre-tamed animal, all of this is a product of that fragmentation. A lack of gentleness, aggressiveness, pride, the use of power, all is a product of brokenness. Now, brokenness can can lead us to trust our own abilities and our own desires because the events that broke us demonstrate how how unsafe other people are. And also, sometimes, it can create a paradigm where it feels like God is unsafe because God didn't do the things that we needed him to do. Our brokenness, our pain, is caused sometimes by by a seeming absence of God in the times where we needed him the most, because we apply our paradigm of what his presence might look like. We end up broken by that because people let us down and because we feel that God has let us down. And the outcome is brokenness. When we are broken by these things, people and God are both unsafe and untrustworthy. So viewed from a lens of our own fragmentation... Security is only possible if we achieve it through our own efforts. This opposition to the Spirit of God quenches the reflection of Jesus and it leads to anger, arrogance, self-righteousness, and inability to learn from others. Ultimately, the inability to bow low before God and each other.
Jesus, though, demonstrates another way. The humble submission of Jesus Christ to his Father demonstrated in his willingness not only to become a human for humanity's sake, but his complete freedom from self-interest and willingness to serve others demonstrates gentleness, humility, and meekness. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Second Corinthians, he writes, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. We also hear this from Jesus as his ultimate statement about submitting to the will of the Father in John chapter 5, um, John five nineteen, a verse that, that is foundational for, for the vineyard. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. What the Father does, the Son also does. So then seeing what the Father does gives us, I'm sorry, seeing what the Son does because the Father does it, gives us a picture of the fruit of gentleness. It was captured by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53. The fruit of gentleness. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a, a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and, and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so, he could, so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. It's a picture of bending low. A picture of the fruit of gentleness. A picture of what we look like when we reflect Jesus. So adding to this picture of gentleness, humility, meekness, is this, this servant attitude that Jesus taught us and left us with. Mark chapter 10, we see Jesus teach this. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority to those under them. But among you, 
it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came, to be served, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this attitude, perhaps captured best by that last supper scene that we see in John chapter 13, when Jesus takes the place of, of the servant and washes the feet of his disciples. It comes with the call to emulate his action as servant, but also we see that, that not just to serve, but with what we saw from the prophet Isaiah, to serve in the face of poor treatment, to serve regardless of how we're treated. And so meekness, humility, gentleness is a product regardless of how we're treated. The Apostle Peter, 1 Peter, captures it this way. Talking of Jesus, he said, He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. So what we see from all of this, from the example of Jesus, is that the defeat of chaos will come by way of an upside-down kingdom. Fueled by gentleness, humility, and meekness, the collective fragmentation that results from chaos leads to kingdoms that are right-side-up. We live in a right-side-up kingdom, one that, that exalts the rich and the powerful, seeing proud and aggressive people come to power, prosperity coming on the price of others, one loses so, so that someone else might gain. All of that is, is a relational term that we know is sin. But when we pass that sin, the results of the fragmentation, all of that pride, all of that aggression, all of that stuff, when we allow that to build, we pass that through the cross of Jesus Christ. We see order return and chaos flee. Strength exemplified through submission, obedience, and compassion in this upside-down kingdom. Obstacles exist, though, to this life of gentleness, humility, and meekness. Those obstacles, then, are fostering aggression, and fostering self-promotion and aspiring to positions of power. The root of these activities is selfishness. But they demonstrate an inability to trust God to be who he says that he is and to do the things that he says he's going to do. An inability to trust who we are to him, what he says about us, taking us back to that life where we must survive on our own, so we must attain the power to accomplish that survival leads us to what we know as competitive survival that we see in the world around us. Now, remembering that Greek adjective that Paul uses to denote the taming of a wild animal, that pride, that aggression, 
the power that comes from, from just a desire to survive. Following placing our faith in Jesus, we see routes to cultivate gentleness come by way of relational proximity to Jesus. So we see those barriers to gentleness. We also see the cultivation of gentleness come from proximity to Jesus. So how do we get close to Jesus? How do we find ourselves in that proximity? We allow our growing faith to beckon us closer to him in relationship so we can understand more of him, but also to understand more of who we are to him. We do that through relationship with each other and relationship with God. This relationship, whether it's with each other or with God, grows through communication. It also grows through learning to yield, yielding better than the folks on, on Shiloh and all of those roundabouts. What a great picture of, of poor discipleship. Man, I could really go off on that one. But also, communication, learning to yield, and seeking intentional relationships with those that hold little value to our own advancement. One of the Desert Fathers, an early uh, Christian leader, um, this group of Christians lived in monastic communities Um, He said that prayer is the seed of gentleness and the absence of anger. Prayer is the seed of gentleness and the absence of anger. So prayer then is the entry point because prayer is speaking to God. And so that speaks to the communication that brings us into proximity. Speaking to God is in itself an act of submission. So drawing close to God allows for the Spirit to soften our heart and to interact not in our own power, but it allows the power of the Holy Spirit to act through us. Prayer has the power to bring us to gentleness. Consider this teaching from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. This is just another example of this upside-down kingdom. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you were kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. When we encounter the fragmentation of others, the direction that Jesus gives is to pray for them. Now, I put put it that way for a purpose. Instead of saying, when we encounter our enemies, what I'm saying is, when we encounter the fragmentation of others, Jesus gives us the direction to pray for them. Jesus teaches this because he knows the outcome of this type of prayer, an outcome that works in the heart of the prayer, prayer, the one that prays. 
That's the better, the one that prays. Prayer and prayer sound too similar. So we're going to go with the one that prays. It works in the heart of the one that prays, and it allows us to see that my brother is never the enemy, even when he acts like it. That in and of itself is a form of yielding to each other. So what we see then is following Jesus doesn't mean that we're going to to live a life free from conflict. It means that we're invited into experiencing conflict in a different way. So culture would have us believe that yielding to someone is an act of weakness. But in this upside-down kingdom, it's an act of mercy, an act of love that self-limits as we give up our right to be right. Yielding also allows us to remain teachable. You ever encountered an unteachable individual? No? Have you ever been an unteachable individual? That's right. <laughs> now consider when you experience self-righteousness in another. When you come up against self-righteousness in another, how, un, how an unteachable spirit creates a barrier to relationship. Yielding to one another cultivates gentleness and, di- and displays humility because we demonstrate the value of relationship as we yield to each other and allow other people to form us as we are together walking this path of being, becoming perfect. Another act in cultivating gentleness occurs when we seek intentional relationships with people and groups that have little value to our advancement and to the outside culture. When we serve those that have nothing to offer us. When we serve those that cannot give us advancement. When we serve those that do not help our competitive survival. When we, when we serve those that do not feed our ambitions, when we serve those that don't make us great, when we serve those that don't grant us power, when we find value in people and groups for the same things that Jesus finds value in them, we cultivate gentleness. What does that look like for the church? It means we take care of the elderly. It means that we take care of the single parents. It also means that we take care of our kids. We cultivate gentleness by making the entire church about kids' ministry. In the months to come, this is going to be something that you will see uh, is a value that I hold and a value that that we will replicate. And I will be asking in the days to come uh, who is interested in going with me. But I am taking my time and my turn in teaching our kids. And so at least one Sunday a month, I will no longer stand here. I will be teaching our kids because that is the place where we ought to be. We cultivate gentleness 
when we seek intentional relationships with people that cannot advance our agenda. Now, to round out our journey through the evidence of, of, of the fruit of the Spirit, we come to self-control. How many are excited to hear about self-control? Anybody excited to hear about self-control? Yes. That's, <laughs> you're all waiting for elf control, right? You're, that's, yeah, that's, <laughs> there, there we go. Oh, man. Now, back to uh, a little bit of word study here. The word that Paul uses that we translate as self-control is used in secular Greek to describe a ruler that does not allow their private interest and desire to influence how they govern their people. How closely related is self-control and gentleness? Isn't that crazy to think how, con- how, how linked those are? When we think about how the secular world, uh, you know, d- w- would handle self-control, a lot of that just becomes like a, a bookshelf of half-read books on, on, on self-help that some folks have in their, in their house. And, 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 you know, that's one thing that, you know, it takes about halfway through those books before you realize they're saying the same thing that the other people said, and it's just no longer interesting anymore. Uh, but, but what we see here in self, with self-control is a ruler that does not allow their private interest or desire to influence the way they govern their people. This is a term that describes someone fit to lead as a servant of the people that they lead. That's what self-control means. That's what Paul is talking about. Self-control is not about mastery of desires and temptations. It's about responses to desires and temptations, especially as it relates to our relationships with others. Martin Luther summed it up this way. We've used this a a time or two, and it's such a perfect example of, of what we're talking about. You cannot keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. There are a lot of birds that fly over our head. These birds that fly over our head take our eyes off of community, off of the body of Christ, off of God himself, We're not called to stop the birds. We're just not to let them build a nest in our hair. So Paul in, in Galatians writes, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, and you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Self-control is not about making the inputs stop. It's about inviting the Holy Spirit to guide us away from the inputs becoming actions. Now, the list of debauchery, the, the fruit of the flesh that we see before the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, describes what happens when the bird is allowed to nest in our hair. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, other sins like these. Those are nests in the hair of the believers in Jesus. They're also rulers that allow their personal interests and desires to influence the governance 
of those that they are meant to serve. Obstacles to self-control begin with a pursuit of happiness brought about by experiencing pleasure. This, coupled with pride, ends in excess and addiction because pleasure becomes both the fuel and the outcome desired. In our country, when freedom is incorrectly defined as a lack of restraints, being driven by a pursuit of pleasure without guidance creates an idolatrous religion. Also, controlling self for the sake of self leads to exalting self, and that also creates a false god. Our secular culture tells us that the most important entity, the place where the um, the, the place for the extremity of sovereignty ought to rest with the individual. But when our focus becomes about self, especially in this world of self-help that we live in, we lose access to the refinement of our fragmentation rubbing against the fragmentation of, of others. So self-help in isolation doesn't lead us to freedom What leads to freedom is self-control that comes from a community and process together. Cultivation of self-control happens in accountable community. A community that applies these words from Paul in Romans chapter 7, not just for themselves, but for everyone that they see. This is what he says, I have discovered this principle of life. That what I want to do, when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. When we use that passage to hold each other accountable, it looks like this. I understand in you that you want to do what's right, but you're struggling with what's inside you. Because I know that because I'm doing the same thing. So instead of shame on you, Together, we can process our collective fragmentation through the cross of Jesus Christ. We can see healing and reconciliation. When we enter this battle together with the aim to support rather than to shame, we see the will of the flesh die as the will of the Spirit grows. The Spirit of the living God comes to dwell in the body of Christ. As a part of that body, the Spirit of the living God dwells in all of those that have faith in Jesus. So armed and dwelled and submitted to His Spirit, we, like the initial followers of Jesus, 
begin journeys that take us through the fire of relationships. Relationships with each other, but also with the non-believing world. And that gives us opportunities to reflect the character of Christ. Next week, we remember and celebrate together the day that this Spirit fell on the believers and it created the church. So as we prepare to close our last Sunday of Adventing Pentecost, I want to leave you with, leave you with the words of St. John of Avila. This was in a sermon delivered on the first Sunday of Lent in the 16th century. And it leads us into ministry time this morning. St. John of Avila said this, God is strong enough to free you from everything and can do more good than all the devils can do you harm. All that God decrees is that you confide in him, that you draw near him, that you trust him and distrust yourself, and so be helped. And with this help, you will defeat whatever hell brings against you. Maybe I'll say that one more time. With this help, you will defeat whatever hell brings against you. Never lose hold of this firm hope. Even if the demons are legion and all kinds of severe temptations harass you, lean upon him because if the Lord is not your support and your strength then you will fall Holy Spirit we ask that you would release the gifts of your spirit here with us now Father as we as we celebrate together would you allow part of this celebration to be an acknowledgement of our fragmentation, an acknowledgement of our brokenness. And Father, from this place, could we acknowledge the brokenness of those that we are in this family with together? So Father, as we enter this time with you, would you speak to us? Would you give us the courage to respond? Would you call us to experience you? living God. In Jesus' name. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up as we, as we re-enter worship, and I'm going to invite anybody to come up for prayer that, that, might, that might need it. If you, if I was speaking about you earlier when we started all those minutes ago, when I talked about, about this idea that you might have sinned yourself out of the grace of God, I would encourage you to come forward and get prayer. If you are in a place of noticing a stiff neck, if you're experiencing a stiff neck in yourself or in others, I would encourage you to come forward for prayer. I'd invite you to this place where we together can begin to cultivate gentleness through prayer, through yielding, seeking out people that can't make us stronger. If you got a lot of birds flying around your head, hunting season is closed. We can't shoot them. 
but we can keep them from building a nest in our hair. If you need help with that, we do that as a family. If there's a nest in your hair, we know how to deal with that too. So I invite you to come forward for prayer as we finish worship this morning.